Faith in God is an expectant faith. See, when we trust in God, we can trust that He will do what no one else can do. Welcome to the Bible Studies for Life Adult podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And this idea of an expectant faith, trusting God to do what no one else can do, is the focus of our podcast today. Chris. Lynn, good to see you today. Good to be with you. Um, This has been a great study for us. We're uh, looking uh, at... uh, instances in the ministry life of Jesus from the gospel of Luke. And uh, it's, I just enjoy uh, the gospels, but especially gospel of Luke. So uh, looking at uh, these, these stories of individuals who exercised faith uh, is we're just kind of in the middle of that study and uh, we'll continue for the next few weeks. Uh, we have with us Ron Brown today. Ron, good to see you today. Good to see you, Chris and Lynn. Ron is the uh, writer for Advanced Bible Study, uh, a longtime employee at Lifeway. We've just been reminiscing a little bit about uh, our work together in the past. And uh, Ron has been writing uh, the Herschel Hobbes study for uh, how many years, Ron? I think about 12, wow. 12, 13, somewhere in there. As Chris mentioned, uh, Ron, uh, Ron has written for the Herschel Hobbes commentary for a long time, and he's continued to write. Uh, however, what we've done in just the uh, last few months is we have taken the Hobbes commentary, and it now has a new name. It's called Advanced KJV. Uh, if you're familiar with the Hobbes commentary, you open up what Ron's doing in Advanced. It is exactly the same on the inside. We just gave it a new name. Uh, there's a lot of reasons I could go into for that, but, uh, it's the same material. Uh, the advantage is this allow is some churches like to use the King James. Some like to use the CSB and this allows them to actually be in a, in a class together. They're using the same commentary. Their leader could use the advanced teacher guide. They could all share that together and it helps them go down the same road, uh, together. It really is a strong piece, but I got to tell you what makes it strong is we have some good writing and that's what Ron does for us. So Ron, thank you for doing that. And so, Ron, I'm going to turn to you in just a moment as we look at our passage. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 for our our study and our podcast today. The point we're looking at today is the idea that faith maintains trust in God to do what no one else can do. We're going to look at a story uh, out of the life of Jesus uh, in Luke chapter 8. But we're we're going to pick up in verse 41, but it begins with these two words, just then. Now, Luke is setting us up for what's about to happen, but what happened right before this, Ron? Can you tell us, give us some context? Sure. This is a you know pretty long chapter, uh, and uh, as I look at it, it almost becomes a microcosm of Jesus' ministry because it begins by pointing out uh, his traveling about the, the, the countryside, uh, teaching and preaching, uh, and then as the uh, uh, chapter moves on, uh, there is examples of his teaching, talking about the parables. This this chapter has the parable of, sometimes we call it the parable of the sower. It is probably more accurate to say the parable of the soils. Uh, there are always crowds around him. That was so uh, common to Jesus' ministry. Uh, and yet as he was followed by masses, he was always able to find that individual. You see that in this chapter. And so... Uh, all of that is taking place prior to 
uh, the narrative that we're going to get in today. Uh, Jesus traveling, teaching, preaching, training, uh, encountering crowds, dealing with individuals, and uh, demonstrating his power and authority over uh, all of the uh, uh, things that threaten human life, like uh, uh, natural forces and disease, uh, evil, uh, pain, and then even death. Uh, he finally, it says, returns uh, home, a home probably is Capernaum, and uh, what he finds there is a crowd that's eager to receive him, and which stands in such contrast because the story that precedes him going back to Capernaum, where people are eager to receive him, is the story of the uh, Gadarene demoniac, and those people were eager for him to leave. So you got one crowd eager for him to leave. Uh, when he gets to Capernaum, there's a crowd there that's eager for his return because they've been looking for him. So it's just all of that activity of Jesus that is so characteristic of Jesus and his ministry uh, is exemplified in the uh, preceding 40, 41 verses of this chapter. All right, so let's pick up there. And with this idea that faith maintains trust in God to do what no one else can do, we're going to begin in verse 41 to see that we can approach Jesus with all our needs. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter about 12 years old and she was dying. While he was going, the crowds were nearby crushing him. A large number of people, like you said, Ron, expecting, looking forward to Jesus coming uh, to, to the place where, wow, I mean, you get the image of uh, narrow streets and uh a bustling crowd and it almost crushing Jesus as they're seeking to be close to him and to hear him. So let's look at this idea that he, uh, uh, Jairus was a leader of the synagogue. What kind of responsibilities would that entail for him? The, uh, the organization of the synagogue uh, included somebody who was, uh, well, they, they, it was almost like a, a board but there was one who was kind of the president of the board. So he was served in sort of a presidential role for the synagogue. And his primary role was uh, to make sure that the building was cared for and uh, to have all of the arrangements made for uh, the services that were going to take place. He was probably the one that selected whoever was going to be the reader of the scroll that day and gave some instructions there. And he probably was the one that enlisted whoever was going to uh, give the sermon during that day. So he was a, it was a very prominent position uh, in the synagogue and therefore would have been a very respected individual as far as uh, the, uh, at least the Jewish community was concerned. So, Ron, with that, I see then, because as you described him, he's well-respected. He's got a key role. What he does in these two verses has got to have an impact on the crowd around them. That this isn't just a leper, some unknown person coming to Jesus. This is in their community. This is a prominent person. So, uh, and I, I dare say, I wonder, but Jairus, said, prior to his daughter getting sick, what his attitude toward Jesus would have been. Was he coming to Jesus out of desperation? Did he already have a sense of a belief in the Messiah? We, I mean, we, we don't know. But what we do know is we see that in his prominence, in his respectability, 
he had no problem now with his daughter dying, coming to Jesus. Yeah. I, I suspect there were a lot of people who uh, were wide-eyed and uh, uh, slack-jawed at seeing him approaching Jesus. But I think it's also a reminder that uh, uh, I think for many of us, for most of us, when we really get up against something that we just can't, we don't know how to handle, uh, that there is something about Jesus that draws us to him. And I think that's probably the case with his father. Uh, What his attitude was before? No, we don't know. But he is in a situation now where whatever his uh, previous thinking was about Jesus, good or bad, did not seem to matter because he was dealing with a, a critical issue in his life and he was willing to turn up every stone, so to speak, and he was willing to do what probably many people would least expect him to do, and that was go to Jesus. When we're in a desperate situation, when we're at the end of our uh, our rope, we don't have any answers, uh, it, it drives us to uh, to do these kind of extreme things, not just uh, Jarius, but people today. Uh, Matt ha- Matt Tallis, the writer for the Personal Study Guide, uh, has a quote from C.S. Lewis' book, The Problem of Pain. And uh, this is the quote, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And uh, just a strong statement about our desperation when when we're dealing with pain or suffering, uh, or something going on in our lives that we don't have answers for. But it's certainly true that God uses those things in our life, that, that, how they draw our attention to him, to see him, call us to pray, call us to come to him. And for Jairus here, that it actually helped him to physically come to Jesus. But it raises the question, and this is a question that we we provide in the resources, a question I think worth discussing is, what is it that sometimes holds us back from bringing our needs to Jesus? For many of us, it could be we try to find the solutions on our own. Maybe it's not that we're intentionally ignoring Jesus, but we just think automatically, well, I know what I need to do. We just look for solutions until Jesus becomes the last resort for us. Yeah, how many times have we said or heard somebody say, well, the only thing left to do is pray. <laughs> There's nothing left for us to do to pray. And when in reality, that should be the first thing we do. Our mindset is, I need to I need to be sure that I'm doing all that I can do. And uh, uh, I probably can handle this. Uh, I can probably solve this problem. And I will do all of those things. And then if, then that's where we go, Chris, to, okay, then I'll, maybe I'll go to God about this thing. But there is, there's just something about us, that sense of human pride and uh, confidence in our ability to handle things that uh, drive us uh, until we reach some point of despair. Well, that is where this uh, synagogue leader is. He is at that point of despair and he has come. To Jesus. And so Jesus does go with him to his home. And so there has to be this sense of relief for the Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Yes, Jesus is coming with me. 
But what happens before Jesus gets there? Now, this is really not part of our focal passage, but I think it's something we need to be keep in mind is after this initial conversation with Jesus and before they get to his home, Jairus's plans have been interrupted because as they're moving through this crowd, a woman who is desperate need of healing realizes if I could just touch the hem of Jesus's garment, I would be healed. She had that kind of faith. And so she does. She touches the garment. Jesus realizes that someone had touched him and that sense of power had left him. He stopped the crowd. And he, he stopped and turned, found out who it was, and he addressed her and let her know that she'd been healed and he was with her. So, Lynn, you know, um, I've mentioned in previous podcasts that I'm a big fan of The Chosen. And in season three, uh, they deal with this uh, incident in the life of Jesus and do an excellent job of capturing uh, what's going on in the woman's life, Jairus and the whole crowd dynamic. Uh, so it's, it's a powerful portrayal of actually what we're looking at in this passage this week. And I dare say, I, in my mind, I just picture this synagogue leader, Jairus, he's going, uh, Jesus, uh, remember what we're doing here? He kind of, I just want to see him kind of tugging on the other part of his garment and say, no, 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 we got another, we got something else to do. Uh, and so when we come to verse 49, Jairus gets this horrible news. While he was still speaking, talking about Jesus, still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. When Jesus heard it, he answered him. Don't be afraid, only believe, and she will be saved. After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Everybody was crying and mourning for her. But he said, stop crying, because she is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, because they knew she was dead. There's this reminder right here that we can trust Jesus even when things don't go like we thought they should. <laughs> that had to be a weird moment uh, for Jesus to walk in and all these people are crying and weeping uh, and uh, Jesus to tell them it's, it's okay. And they, they, you know, they, they laugh out loud. He's crazy. What is he, what's he talking about? I think it is. I think it is a reminder that uh, there is a timing to the providence of God that, you know, uh, those of us who are impatient, even when we get to the point of praying or approaching God with our need, we also would like the answer to come pretty quickly. We would like for there to be no interruptions. We would like to take first place in God's, uh, all of God's activity and uh, this, uh, you know, I think this is a reminder that uh, uh, God still is at work, even when those what we'll call interruptions come, that it doesn't mean that God has lost control of what's going on, that his, his uh, capability and his compassion are unending, and they can pick it up at any point and still claim, we can still find victory in it. The beauty of this is that God gets greater glory because of this delay. Now, I'm sure that weighed heavily on Jairus and his wife's minds that uh, if he had only come sooner, if we had not stopped, 
perhaps my daughter would be alive. But there's a sense where, yes, Jesus certainly could have healed her when she was sick, but there's a greater sense of glory, a greater healing, because she this daughter had died. And I think this was just a greater testimony, probably caused the parents, all those that were there mourning once they saw the child up, to give a greater honor. Well, let me take us to verse 54, uh, where we see this healing. So he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she should be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Now, let's just deal with the question. There's this great, uh, to me, a greater miracle that's happened, raising this girl after she had died. But why did Jesus tell them, don't tell anybody what's happened? Yeah, I I think at the end of the day, we only speculate uh, because it does seem to be in such contrast earlier in this same chapter with the story of that, uh, you know, Gadarene man, uh, you know, he, uh, he encouraged that man to tell everybody what had happened to him. And so here at the end of the same chapter, he's telling uh, these folks, uh, sort of keep it to yourself. And that does strike us as, as odd. And, and so I, I think at the end of the day, we only have, we can only speculate as to why, you know, some of it may be because, uh, as one one writer said, uh, Jesus was not intending to be a, a a traveling magic show, so this was this he he was not wanting to point this out in the sense of the of the miraculous as much as he was wanting to point out uh, this victory over death and and the new vitality of this little girl and the change that was that was uh, had taken place in her life and even in her parents' life and what it said about him. So the focus is, is, uh, is to be on him, not even on a little girl who's now running around the marketplace playing games like she used to. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, it's uh, hard for me to say why. Uh, and I think, uh, I think we, don't get, we, we don't need to get too caught up in trying to understand everything that Jesus did. Uh, if we, well, because the, the key phrase that he gave to that father was, fear not, believe. I think there comes a point where I do, by my faith, just believe that Jesus does all things well and right. He does. And he provides just what we need at just the right time. And it really is beyond explanation. I mean, even if I go out and tell it, uh, I don't have the full capacity to communicate all that's going on in, you know, in the mind of God. Uh, it, I'm not saying that the gospel is not, uh, you know, can't be comprehended, but it is even greater than our ability to comprehend it or to communicate it, uh, because it's we're talking about God here, uh, and uh, His vastness is beyond measure. And so there are some things that I can't explain and that I don't know, but I believe and I exercise faith in him and that gets me through it. Faith maintains trust in God to do what no one else can do. Matt, uh, 
challenged me with some questions as he concluded the study. He says, will we trust him even at times when it seems like he's late? Will we listen to the mockers more than we will listen to the master? And who will we allow into the inner corridors of our pain and despair? Those questions to see just how much am I maintaining a trust in God who can do what no one else can do. So if we were to ask the people in our group, do you believe that God can do anything, that nothing is impossible with God? Um, I think most of the people in our group would say, well, of course, yes, we do. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if we ask and, and go to God with that kind of expectation. Lord, you you can do anything. Um, I, I'm asking you to do something that is beyond my ability to uh, be able to explain, but uh, to take those kind of concerns to God, expecting that he will hear and answer um, our prayers. Bible study ends with application ideas. And I just want to reference one of these, the three ideas that Matt gave us in the personal study guide. As we think about living out this idea of maintaining our trust in God to do what no one else can do, he calls us to pray. Ask God to reveal the people in your life who need a resurrection, a spiritual resurrection. Pray for spiritual awakening and the courage to speak into their lives. That there are people all around us that need a resurrection. And just as I'm sure Jairus' wife and those, well, she's dead, it's, it's, it's over. We have people around us, and let's, if we're honest, sometimes we think, yeah, I, don't, I just can't see them getting saved. We just, because of the, their lifestyle, their, their, their attitude toward God. But God is in the uh, process of working miracles, including a spiritual resurrection to take someone who's dead inside, who's dead to Christ, and make them alive. And there's a challenge for me to pray for those who need Jesus that I know and that I know well. But pray that God would resurrect them. Gentlemen, thank you for a good conversation today as we uh, look at this passage out of Luke Thanks. 8. Glad to be part of it. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for what you do and for the, for the writing ministry that you have. And thanks for being a part of our podcast. We appreciate that. We also want to say thank you to those of you who are listening. We appreciate you listening every week. Hope that this is helpful to you. And I uh, hope that you'll plan on being with us next week.